Hi everyone and welcome to the All Plane Podcast, where we talk with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, let me remind you once more that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. Today we're going to talk about the passenger experience. Our guest, Jeff O'Neill, is not new to this podcast. He was already here back in 2020 to present the Zephyr aircraft seat, a truly revolutionary stacked aircraft seat concept for a premium economy class that he's developing and, and that he's been crowdfunding for. So naturally, I will ask Jeff about the state of this project. But I also take the opportunity to pick his brain a little bit. And as an expert in aircraft cabins and passenger experience, I'm going to ask him about the latest trends in this space. What is missing in today's passenger experience? What could airlines be doing better? Also, what are his favorite passenger cabin products right now in the market? And which airlines have the most interesting product redesigns? Business class usually gets a lot of love and attention from the media and from the public, but Jeff will make the case for premium economy and economy class being the two areas where we might well see the most interesting innovation taking place in the near future. So keep listening for a review of the key elements of today's passenger experience and some suggestions about how to make it better. And without further ado, let me welcome Jeff to the podcast. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Very well. How are you? Good afternoon. Very well. Thank you. Good to have you here in Europe these days, because normally you are based in the US, which makes the with the time difference, it makes this type of podcasting a bit more difficult to handle. But today we are all in the, time, the same time zone. So yes, <laughs> I guess, very happy. <laughs> I guess it's, it's easier. It's not the first time you are here on the podcast. Uh, we had the chance to speak. Uh, I think it was maybe like two years ago or one year and a half ago, something like that. You came here on the podcast to explain a very interesting project you were working on. And I'm going to ask you now about about this specific initiative. And that's a Zephyr aircraft seat. You are the founder and CEO of Zephyr Aerospace. And you're an avid traveler and an expert in aircraft uh, cabin interiors. Many people haven't listened to that episode that was a long time ago. I'm going to ask you to just tell us in a few lines who you are and a bit more about these projects uh, that you are working on at the moment. Yeah, sure. So Zephyr Aerospace is a reinvention, uh, a gradual reinvention of affordable access to lie flat seats. And what we're trying to do is find a better option for premium economy class travelers on long distance flights. So currently, the industry standard is a non lie flat seat with additional leg room and a slight additional width on the seat pan. We're trying to do more and provide more comfort uh, in the same real estate area as a premium economy class seat that's flying today. And so we, we essentially do this by utilizing the third dimension of vertical space. So when you're seated on a plane, you look up and there's traditionally an overhead bin space. So we take that, that part away and we essentially allow a second traveler to sit on top. Uh, so we allow stacked seating, which is an industry first for passenger seats. This is not unprecedented with crew rest area where the pilots and the in-flight cabin crew traditionally seat is in a bunk bed formation. Most passengers don't see this. It's out of sight on the upper part of the aircraft that is in a crawl space. So we're trying to make accessibility for this type of seat available to mainline passengers, to, to, to travelers who are seated in the main passenger deck. 
I would like to add here that a part of the aircraft, the crew area, the crew rest area is a part of the aircraft that is normally not accessible. But I would like to say I have a couple of posts on Oplane TV where I actually show how it looks like. I was in an A350 recently, in a couple of A350s actually, and I think there's another one for from the A380. Well, I have a couple of posts. I'm going to post the link so that people can get an idea, of course, about about, about this kind of secret uh, secret compartment that all long-range aircraft have for the crew to basically rest a little bit between the different shifts. And I wanted to ask you about what's the what's the status of this project? Because last time you were here on the podcast, you were crowdfunding to make it a reality. I think you were about to, or you had already completed a, a mock-up of that concept and I have seen some really cool renderings as well that I'm gonna I'm gonna post as well on the show notes. But it's been a while, so I just wanted to check out where are you now with this Zephyr Seed concept. So we spent the two and a half to three years uh, during COVID essentially refining our seat design and applying constructive feedback from the first time we showed the concept to the industry at the Hamburg Interior Show in 2019. So that was a first version of a physical prototype of our design. And we had a chance to meet with about 15 different airlines over the course of three days and got some really good feedback. So we took that, we developed a focus group test of our own in Los Angeles with different traveler types, and we refined our design according to what is more feasible to be certified. We performed a simulated crash test dynamic and we were able to understand the movement of our seat in the event of an emergency for travelers and perform design standards that meet the requirements for product certification. We have not completed or actually applied for a TSO or an STC certification uh, at this time uh, because that, that involves a large investment in physical mock-ups being built to run down sleds, as well as closer collaboration with seat suppliers and airline customers. Uh, we have been engaging with airlines, uh, asking them what they think of the concept. The feedback is generally positive, but most airlines are risk-averse at the moment due to not having received a full recovery in the industry. And I think most airlines are taking a conservative approach to additional innovation and um, not wanting to invest in new concepts at this time. Why we're remaining committed to it is largely because we see a very obvious and clear product market fit to the end user, uh, for which I think no, no one would disagree. There's clearly demand for those that want to pay less for more. And we're trying to incorporate that into our discussions with airlines in an ongoing basis. But we are also looking at uh, possibly developing this concept on our own and finding a way to launch it to the industry as well. So we are we're very open-minded at this point. You mentioned the STC and another certification. You said TS, TSO? TSO. The STC is whenever you need to do some modification, some heavy modification in the, in the aircraft. The TSO, I'm not that familiar with. So, well, I guess many people are not that familiar with any of those. So it would be great if you could just explain in a couple of lines what, what they involve. Uh, so the TSO is a... Uh, a type certificate which essentially certifies the seat design and all the structural integrity of the structure during the event of an emergency of a crash test scenario. So it's one performance standard testing that's required uh, that incorporates evacuation and incorporates downward 
uh, pressure on the seat in the event of, uh, of an airplane crash. It also certifies the, the movement and injury of the passenger inside of the seat and makes sure that the structure is durable to allow them to evacuate quickly. Uh, it also has anti-inflammability standards, uh, so the materials that are used need to be tested so that in the event of a crash, they don't catch fire and the occupant catches fire as well. And the STC is essentially standardizing the seat as an interior modification and installation in a particular aircraft type. So for our purposes, this would likely be a Boeing 777 or an Airbus 350 aircraft, given the nature of those planes covering long-distance journeys. Mm -hmm. And you tested the this crash emergency situation already? Uh, no, we, we have tested it virtually. Uh, we're not in a position to financially afford a complete uh, complete examination or a reenactment of the seat because it it involves structural mock-ups uh, of different shapes and sizes being tested on a on a sled in a specialized facility. Uh, so that would typically be conducted in conjunction with an airplane seat supplier, so a company that produces airplane seats or interior components, or at the behest of an airline customer, which we don't have at this point. So mm -hmm. our current discussions with airlines are at a very preliminary level, we're trying to understand what innovation they would like to see in other classes of service besides business and first class, and how this concept can fit into their aircraft LOPAs, which is a layout of a passenger area, which shows the number of seats that can be configured inside of a plane, and how this is going to impact the passenger experience for their customers. Indeed, yeah, these certifications cost a lot of money. We had a certification expert here in, in the podcast not long ago, and, and we were just talking about that, about how incredibly expensive can it be. I mean, there's some reasons for that, because obviously uh, there are these certifications that are there for a reason. But yeah, that can be a significant barrier. Uh, same as you mentioned um, how airlines are tend to be quite conservative with adopting these new concepts. Of course, it's a, it's a big investment as well, so it, I can kind of understand. But, I mean, what are you seeing now in terms of, let's say, innovation in the cabin space? Because we are seeing some interesting concepts, like, for example, I think Air New Zealand announced something that it's not like what you're proposing. It's something different, but it, it's, a, it's a stuck concept, I think, as well, for people to rent some like bank beds on one section of the aircraft. Um, that's so far one of the most, uh, let's say, disruptive things I have seen in, in the cabin that have a, a chance to become a reality in the, in the very near future. What can you tell us about the things that you have seen in the market that have caught your attention? So I, I think the, you know, the main trends in the industry today are really going to revolve around the narrow bodies that are incredibly fuel efficient and very range efficient, which means they're lighter weight, they're better for the environment, they can transport fewer fewer travelers, but airlines can use them more efficiently on kind of mid-range routes, so routes under 10 hours of flight time, because I don't think we've seen a complete resurgence of international markets reopening post-COVID. Most of Asia uh, has just reopened, especially China and Hong Kong. And so they're just now increasing their their capacity in major airports. And a lot of travelers are still very hesitant to travel in and out until things have become more normalized. Europe and South America, for the most part, have resumed passenger numbers. I mean, they're not fully there yet, but they will be there 
I think by the end of this year, if not the middle of next year. Uh, but a lot of airlines are still thinking about what passengers need and what they care about. So during COVID, there was a large emphasis and priority placed around privacy, the ability to be a bit further away from other travelers who you don't know, and to provide access to more comfort. And it was largely because there was a shift in the types of passenger demographics who were occupying flights. Uh, there was less business class customers or less corporate travelers in a, in a very traditional sense. And there were more leisure travelers or travelers who were traveling for a mixture of personal and business reasons. Uh, typically, leisure travelers were a much smaller component, at least from a monetary standpoint, of contributing to airplanes bottom or to, to airlines bottom line. Uh, now that trend has shifted. You will see corporate travelers come back, but they're coming back with lower budgets. So they don't have as much money to spend, and they're looking at other seating options on the plane. And premium economy class has received a lot of attention, a lot of focus, a lot of increased booking power. Uh, but I don't think airlines have gone far enough in offering what they can within that piece of real estate to what the needs are of the modern traveler. And I think those are being permanently shifted and what we're designing is sort of designing to what those people will need. So it's only a matter of time until air, until airlines understand that. Mm -hmm. And you at, at the same time that, you, that you're seeing this, you're seeing most legacy airlines remove first class from most cabins and invest further in business class development. So improving a traditional seat configuration of one to one, potentially with doors, uh, with, you know, again, more separation or privacy between other travelers. And again, selling that at a premium to flyers in the market today because they're willing to pay that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I've been hearing this type of, um, I, I've been hearing about this from, from different people in the industry I've been talking with recently. And actually, the, the, this drive to towards premium economy and the dying first class and and this upgrade in in business class is it's something that I've I've been noticing just across the board. One interesting thing here is actually there seems to be correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe I'm you you know this segment much better. But could it be that as you said, like business class, it's becoming let's say more premium in a way with uh, these seats that provide better privacy, all the the doors, for example. Uh, right now, pretty much all new business classes, as a standard, they have the, the uh, full life flat beds and doors to give full privacy or almost full privacy and in wide body aircraft. But then in the narrow body, which it's starting to fly longer and longer, longer segments, um, what we're seeing is actually many of the, let's say, the full service carriers have stripped down a little bit the business class. I'm thinking about the British Airways and uh, Iberia's, Lufthansa's. If you fly with them now in Europe in a narrow body aircraft, the business class they offer on these single aisle planes are, it's not so significantly different than the economy class cabin. In some cases, just a, cur a curtain and the food is a bit better. And obviously the service is a bit better, but, but the actual seeds are not so different. So this, you know, th th this is the age old question, right? So, in, and, and airlines have unfortunately not had to deal with this until the effects of COVID, right? They were, they were signing corporate contracts left and right. 
flyers that were more price inelastic, which means they were not as susceptible to the differences in fare, were much more prevalent in the industry, which means companies did not really care about having budgets. They were willing to pay for business class for most of their, their employees. Those days are changing and the needs of travelers are changing as well. But before, what was business class really offering? Like, what was the value proposition? For a long time, it's, it's really always been very overpriced. It hasn't really defined itself as a differentiated category between economy and business. You have very limited and modest improvements in service, even fewer and modest improvements in, in the soft product, which is the quality of the food, the alcohol, the pre and post flight experience, the airport experience. The lounge experience. I mean, in, in many cases, airlines were, were really struggling to control the quality of these experiences. Yet, a lot of the fares were not reflecting that. They were still very high. Uh, airlines were not willing to offer discounts. And the, you know, the people who lose out here are those who invest in that experience with very high expectations and then go to the airport and are usually disappointed, right? They're, they're wondering why they invested so much money in a very mediocre experience. So what, what we have seen is that people place a high priority on access to sleep. And that's traditionally why you invest in a business class experience. You want to be able to sleep. That's it. Nothing else. And Your that expectations was, are... sorry, that, that was actually one of the logics that many corporations use to, to justify the expense is that we want our people to go to the meeting fresh and go go to the meeting, close the deals that they need to close, have a, the negotiations that they need to conduct, and do it fresh from a good sleep, arrive well-rested, right? Correct. So what travelers are thinking about now is they're thinking about how do they eliminate, completely eliminate the effects of jet lag. And with that elimination of jet lag, what else can they do with their time? How, how much more frequently could they travel? How much more rested, safe, and healthy could they be when they arrive in their destination? And people do not want to pay a lot of money for this. It's very logical. If you look at every other transportation vertical, that's boats, trains, long-distance coaches, or self-driving, people are very cost-conscious. But for whatever reason, airlines have been getting away with charging fares of up to $10,000, $10,000 to take a round trip flight in business class, but really offering nothing that is life changing, nothing that, that people leave the experience with as a better human, you know, as a, as a more healthy or comfortable citizen. Nothing is being done to continually invest in that. It's always been things that are very basic. And even when you look at your, your non-legacy airlines, you're looking at low-cost carriers, ultra-low-cost carriers. They have these premium airline or premium cabin concepts. They offer nothing but inches of extra legroom. And that's, you know, that's not going far enough in providing benefits to your health or your safety or your security. And so we think that the industry needs to do more, and it can do more. There's very creative ways to utilize real estate on airplanes today. We're taking a more risk conscious approach and we're, we're thinking that travelers are willing to make trade-offs to access those affordable ways to sleep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
we've, you know, we have tested that with focus groups. We've even tested this by going into airports and secretly filming travelers that are seated by gates, boarding flights that are 15 hours from Los Angeles to Asia at two o'clock in the morning and just seeing visually how miserable they look, how uncomfortable, how depressed, just how anxious and stressed they are about having to endure this long journey and not knowing what to expect, not liking what they know is going to be the case, which is going to be no access to sleep, mediocre food, very decent service, and wondering why it can't be better. There needs to be a better option. It's very simple. It's not a rocket science business proposal. Everybody wants it in some way, shape, or form, but there's no product. There's no hardware that actually ha- that actually can deliver it at this point. Mm-hmm. Are airlines worried about the certification risks or about the, accept- the, the public acceptance of a new concept like Zephyr that looks completely different from anything else well, we're used I to? Think I- I think airlines are always worried about things that are different and what the reaction is from the industry, from travelers. And I think that the main concern they have is that they're not in a position to make a decision at this point, given all the effects now of an an upcoming recession, of reduced spending, of reduced frequency of travel, reduced demand from traditional corporate flyers. And also much more abstemious or conservative budgets for innovation and innovation projects. I don't think that they're very negative on the value proposition. I think they believe that travelers do care about it. The execution, the market positioning, the pricing, the segmentation, these are all things that traditional airlines will have difficulties bringing to market. They're going to have difficulties commercializing. Anything yeah. can be certified with time and money. You touch on an, an important point here because I was talking recently with an experienced uh, executive in this segment of the industry, and he was telling me that one of the reasons that the premium economy hasn't taken off earlier is that the existing distribution channels, he was referring mostly to indirect channels like travel agents and GDSs, didn't have a, a proper way to, to sell premium economy and provide a consistent experience when different legs of an itinerary combine different classes of service. He was telling me that the, the market was not well prepared to, to distribute this premium economy in a, in a way that made sense commercially. Um, I don't know if you, you share also this concern when it comes to introducing these very, let's say, disruptive new concepts that maybe the, the, the existing channels, I don't know if that's changing now with more direct distribution, but if the existing channels are not prepared to let the public appreciate the distinctive features of, of these innovative concepts. So that actually, that's a very good point. Content and the integration of that content into existing digital uh, commercial channels like OTAs, Obviously, airlines utilize third parties like other travel agents on and offline that promote and resell different products. The standardization of the nomenclature of lie flat seat has always been associated with first class and business class. Now to have that associated with a premium economy class product is conflicting. It's brand inconsistent. It's category and cabin inconsistent. And it could cause a lot of confusion to the end passenger. 
So I, I agree that those are all worthy reasons for why it's challenging. It's not impossible if we can build rockets to send the general public to space, designing and building a better airplane seat should really not be rocket science. Okay. And bunk beds existed on Pan Am and TWA flights back in the 70s and 80s before deregulation in the industry. Yes, they did. And in fact, they existed in many, many shapes and forms. Some of them actually were configured inside of an overhead bin space above what was then business class. There were some concepts in economy that utilized uh, cabin crew sleeping areas, which were only available in flight, but again, could still benefit people who wanted to prioritize sleep. So what we have to do is look at where the precedent is now, and that largely exists in where the cabin crew sleeps. But there's a very big disconnect. Why is the cabin crew, who are supposed to be serving the employees, why are they being given better options and more comfortable sleeping solutions on long-haul flights, but not the end customer. Well, it seems very strange to me. I, I don't know if I would qualify the rest areas like <laughs> a better experience, better than, well, maybe better than some economy class seats. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's, well, not part, but, it's not particularly luxurious either. But, but it doesn't need to be. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what we're testing right now is we're testing the needs of the modern traveler. So the same way that you make trade-offs and you have certain expectations when you book a flight on EasyJet, Ryanair, Spirit, Frontier, AirAsia, you know exactly what you're getting. You're buying a very inexpensive ticket because you prioritize the price. The price Ooh. point is all that matters to you, period, 100%. Mm-hmm. And when you board the plane, you're willing to make trade-offs, especially on a short-distance flight, right, under five hours, because you know you didn't pay much money. And that's the benefit that that airline is offering you. But when, you, when you're when you ready to book a flight for 15 hours to Hong Kong, everything changes. All of your priorities shift. It's not about the price point, at least not exclusively. It's about the entire experience, the entire journey you're going to have. What can you expect? And usually people are willing to invest more money in their personal comfort and safety on a flight that's significantly longer in flight time. And we want to be a category offering. We want to be the first category offering for that particular customer. And believe me, there are a lot of rich people who fly in economy class based on principle because they do not see commensurate value in what airlines are offering in a business class product. It's not worth the amount of money that they're charging, period, full stop. And the airlines will tell you differently. They'll say, well, no, you get this and this and this. What I would expect for spending, you know, for giving anyone for any reason $10,000 would be absurd. I would expect private chauffeurs, escorts to airport, the avoidance of airports completely, not talking to a human at all, having specialized access, having custom meals, uh, you know, based on certain dietary restrictions, having VIP everything everywhere. That's what I would expect for, you know, for giving someone $10,000 for a flight. But that's not what the industry expects, right? The industry expects that, that they can charge a lot of money, but that a lot of standards can be modified and can be interpreted differently by different types of travelers. We want to create new standards. And that's exactly what long haul, low cost. And in fact, the entire LCC business model did about 20 years ago. 
True. When I yeah. think Delta and United, they had spinoff low-cost airlines, Ted and Song. These were what the modern day is, um, you know, that's usually affiliated with uh, Scoot, which is now part of Singapore Airlines. You now have Zip Air, which is part of Japan Airlines, AirAsia X, which is part of AirAsia. Everyone's thinking, how do we extend our low-cost offering to an entire route network, not only short-distance flights? The problem is none of these airlines have a better piece of hardware. They're not changing anything about the seat. That's your entire offering. People are paying for the seat. They're paying for their body to be in a comfortable environment for 15 hours. They're not paying for better service. They don't care about better service. That's not going to improve their flight. They want a physical space for themselves that's superior, that's better, that's more comfortable, and that's made more affordable. And mm -hmm. this is, no one is offering this in any category. It doesn't exist. We're creating an entirely new category. We are providing you affordable access to sleep. That's it. If you want something else, go fly a different airline. That's mm -hmm. not the value proposition here. It's if you place a priority of sleep and that's all you care about, we will sell you an affordable place to sleep. That's and, it. And of the airlines that are now in the market, uh, the products that are now in the market, are there any particular ones that caught your attention that you would place at the very top of your preferences? Personally, I think what Air New Zealand is doing is innovative. I don't agree with the commercial model. I think it's very strange how you're going to only be able to offer six travelers in premium economy class the option to sleep and only access sleep in flight. Uh, and when, then how are you going to charge them? One parenthesis here, I think Air New Zealand, from what became known in the press, it plans to offer that as an, a, a sort of an in-flight ancillary. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're going to rent that bunk bed for a certain period of time during the flight. So let's say Air New Zealand has these super long flights that can take 13, 14, 15 hours. So you might book that bed for like four or five hours at a time. Is that right? And then correct. you're going to basically have shifts so you're going to have people passing through and i guess i mean i'm just wondering how they're gonna wake up wake well, people up and all that i mean exactly I, I, that's a delicate so you, part of the experience i guess right so so what one major cause of friction in in creating new seating concepts is what is the reaction of the cabin crew right your cabin crew is going to be the people interfacing with your customers are there any major service modifications if you introduce this concept? With our concept, they're not modifying anything that they would not do to a business or a premium economy class customer today. And if anything, a lot of the luxuries, the small things will be stripped away, thereby simplifying their whole onboard service delivery. So one of the things that we did was we, we actually worked with a committee of flight attendants from different types of airlines. We invited them to come to Los Angeles and we said, tell us what, what would improve your ability to, to provide better service to your customers. Tell me what you care about. Even though, quite frankly, as an airline, those are your employees and they should be doing whatever you tell them to do. But like it or not, the industry is comprised of a lot of unions. So the voice of your employees is very strong. It's very influential. So it's very important. 
And their biggest complaint to us was, Jeff, how do we build a better seat that eliminates, literally obliterates passenger stress, discomfort, anxiety, in-flight rage, and all the things that are associated with long-distance journeys where people feel very, um, very uncomfortable in an environment for a very long amount of time. And traditionally, the cabin crew has been the people that have to deal with that. So by, by providing something better for travelers, you're putting them in an environment where they're less likely to become anxious, more stressful, more belligerent, um, more drunk, right? Creating problems and creating inefficiencies for cabin crew, eliminating delays, causing more, uh, you know, more, more, many more flight cancellations, flight diversions. So from a cabin crew standpoint, this is a, this is a win-win. If people are in a private space sleeping, they're not bugging cabin crew, right? They're making their job actually a lot easier. True. Yeah. But the issue I see, the issue I see with, with Air New Zealand is that because you're offering a product that can only be accessed for a certain amount of time, you now have to train your cabin crew to wake people up, to, to change the sheets, to go and escort people back and forth, to time people. So they're almost becoming glorified hotel front desk agents for a model that really can't be scaled, right? They're utilizing space that previously was precious galley area for the cabin crew to serve or to allow maybe a, maybe a stand-up galley or bar that, that, you know, that other travelers can walk to, can move to in the middle of the flight and feel like they're in a different space. So if you want to expand that, you have to give up seats, right? So our solution is very simple. It's very straightforward. We're trying to find a taxi takeoff and landing compliant seat design that lets travelers be in that space for the entire duration of the flight, not only when the plane's in the air and not only for a certain amount of hours. We're giving them complete privacy to do what they want, when they want, the minute the plane takes off. And that's that's very powerful because that's become the standard for business class. Business class, in my opinion, cannot get any better. It's impossible. There's nothing more you can add to business class where you have a willingness to pay and, and industry sort of diversion or, or an industry evolution or true innovation more than one to one configuration with doors. If you make it any better than that, you have to call it first class. And that's just not what the industry is asking for. There's no demand for even for an even better product than business class. Now, people want innovation in the back of the bus. They mm -hmm. want something more and they are willing to pay for it. They have a lot of money. So, Jeff, looking right now at the at the market and the different products that airlines have been releasing, every now and then we've got a, a major airline announcing a, a new cabin revamp. For example, I, I wrote an article about the cabin revamps you can expect now in this year, in 2023. So there, there's a lot of investment going into into these cabin refits. Emirates now, for example, is going through a $2 billion cabin refit for its long-haul fleet. Uh, what are your favorite? Which are the cabin products that are your favorites, both in premium economy and in business class? I don't know if you have a, any personal ranking of, let's say, the, the top three or four that have caught your attention as an expert in, in this field. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm a man that, that really kind of, or I'm, I, I guess I would say I'm a traveler that likes products that are very consistent. So I think over the years, Virgin Atlantic has delivered an exceptionally well-executed and comfortable premium economy class experience. I think because the nature of the airline is very fun. It's very uplifting. The cabin crew are very enthusiastic about what they do. And that, that really shows. So that component, that soft product component combined with the hard product and the seat innovation, I think is a perfect combination. Um, in terms of physical comfort, although it's very dated now, I really like Eva Air and you know Japan Airlines, their premium economy class products. They were the some of the originals in the industry to offer it. Japan Airlines is the largest, the most spacious at 42 inches of, of space, of seat pitch. But then I'm also very intrigued. I've not flown it personally, but what Emirates is finally doing by launching a premium economy class product. If many would remember Tim Clark, whenever he was interviewed about the prospect of premium economy, said, no, we will never have it. It's not part of our ethos. It doesn't matter to our airline. And yet here we are, right? So they now have, they're not retrofitting I believe all of their 380s and some of their 777s with a premium economy class cabin. Yes. I don't think it's the most innovative premium economy class seat design, but I think the most amazing part is that they've actually committed investment to a new class of service. And that's having a big impact on their competitors, on Etihad, Turkish, Saudia, and especially Qatar Airways, which is vowed no matter what. They will never introduce premium economy class because there's such a clear divide and difference between their premium and non-premium cabin experiences. So that leads me into the to the question of you're probably going to ask, what are my favorite business class products? Well, Indeed, I'm a yeah. fan of Qatar because Qatar Airways and their kind of flagship Q Suites product really provides the largest differentiation in physical comfort and in-flight experience between a premium and non-premium cabin or class of service. There's a very, very big difference, which means that when passengers invest in, an, in a, a business class experience with Qatar, they're actually getting something substantially better and in many ways more value added. Uh, they also execute very, very well the Doha transit experience. I mean, the Airport lounges are absolutely incredible. I don't even know how you can compare that to Emirates. It's it's so consistent. It's clean. It's refreshed. And it seamlessly integrates with their onboard product. I'm mm -hmm. also very, very happy about what American Airlines is doing. It's not an airline most people would, would put at the top of their list, but they actually provide a very consistent business class experience on their domestic flights between California and the East Coast, notably Miami and New York. They have a separate product that's only first class between Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. And it's, it's, it's really quite amazing. But they haven't executed that well on the international network. And they're now doing that with deliveries of new 777-8s and 9s, as well as the triple, or sorry, 7-8s, as well as the new 777s that are coming the end, the end of this year and next year. And so they're, they're introducing a whole new product that is, is going to become I think very, very much in demand from North America flyers. It provides more space, the most privacy, and it will be offered on, I believe, all of the aircrafts at that time once it's once it's fully installed. 
single L as well, right? They're, go they're getting 321 LRs? They are, yes. So they're going to be, well, I, I mean, they're actually removing first class domestically uh, from all of their aircraft in 2025, I believe, officially. And then they're reinvesting those savings and innovation back into uh, the narrow body long haul experience. So the 321 ULRs that are going to go from northern uh, east coast into Europe connecting New York and Miami with certain routes. And then, of course, their long-haul flights on 777 and 78s to Asia and South America. So it, it will be a much more consistent product. But I think that level of investment by a U.S. airline is absolutely massive. Absolute, and plus, their aircraft order to boot uh, is, is, is really quite industry-setting. Actually, the, the American carriers were getting... They had quite a bad reputation for service, but it seems that they have been investing and, and refreshing the product in the last last few years. They have. And one of the other things that people may notice is that when when US airlines sell a product, you know, they're not they're they're really selling more reliability and on-time performance. Because um we have a lot more weather delays and cancellations because route networks in the US are far more sophisticated and elaborate than in most other countries. So people are selling the reliability and the on-time performance. And that's typically what business travelers care about most in the United States. Now, the needs of travelers are different based on where they're coming from and where they're going. So uh, that's why you see Middle Eastern carriers trying more advanced concepts because they're really competing with airlines that would otherwise fly nonstop between a lot of international routes, which would now have to require a one-stop in the city in, in the MENA region. And so they have to provide an incentive for travelers to not book something more direct and instead make a stop, have a prolonged travel time, but hopefully experience something a little bit better. Um, so what, what Zephyr's trying to incorporate is how do we take the best of the hardware requirements of the seat comfort index from travelers and all the soft elements that sort of wrap around an entire trip and are important to people, but not the only reason why they fly and make all of that more financially affordable. Mm -hmm. How do you improve it and make it more financially accessible? And what's next for Zephyr? Are you now looking for investment? Are you working on an evolution of, of this concept? What, what are the next milestones? The immediate one is we're looking for an industry partner which could be a seat supplier, an OEM, or an airline customer to help us certify our current seat design. Run mm -hmm. through all the TSO requirements, perform standardized tests on different aircraft types, assist in creating LOPAs and seat layout configurations with different numbers of, of seats, and incorporate all of this into a business model that will tell them what their financial upside could be if Zephyr existed for them and their customers. We want to also conduct more focus group tests which require capital investment from, from someone, if that's a customer or an individual investor, to again, validate that there is a product market fit for this concept. We believe there is. The industry seems to agree with us. Travelers seem to agree with us. Um, but we have to test all of these in conjunction with a committed customer who wants to see this innovation into inside of a real aircraft happen very soon. If there are people now listening that might 
be interested in getting involved in some way, funding or providing industrial expertise or in some other way, where can they find out more about your project, about Zephyr Aerospace, and how to reach out to you? So our project is currently uh, in sort of a stealth mode. So anyone that's interested in knowing more, knowing about our current traction, our next steps, or would like to partner or support the project moving forward, to please contact me directly. My email is on LinkedIn. It's also on all the, the press that you see online today in multiple articles. Uh, it's my name, Jeff, J-E-F-F, at Zephyr, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, seat.com. We're happy to talk with you. Um, you know, again, I, I'm also open to constructive criticism. If you're a passenger that sees a benefit for this as an end user, but not someone who would invest in it, tell me why. Tell me what things you'd like to see changed what improvements, what things we could do better, differently, or you know, just motivation to keep going. But we are committed to, see the, to seeing this project through to complete success or complete failure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for all this very interesting explanation of your project and also your insights about this fascinating topic that is airline products. Wishing you all the best. Thank you. With the, with, the, with the Zephyr project, I hope you guys manage to bring innovation into the aircraft cabin. And, and yeah, in the meantime, any novelties, just feel free to drop a line and we can reconvene and talk again at some point in the future. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. And thank you for having me on the show. A pleasure. Thank you very much, Jeff. Bye. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon.